Hi, I'm Jessie Draper. I am first and foremost a mom, a boy mom to be exact, a boy mom who invests in female-founded companies. Yep, the joke's on me. I'm the founder of Halogen Ventures, a former entrepreneur and creator of an Emmy-nominated television series on technology. My mission is to support women and help raise awareness about the biggest issues facing society, women, and families today, starting with solving childcare. From celebrity guests to founders and politicians, everyone came from a family somewhere. And I want to hear from you, the families of America, on how we can make change because I can't do this alone. Let's get started. We have monumental work to do. Mommy, mommy, mommy. Amy Jo is an angel investor and New York Times bestselling author. I know her from the Twitter sphere, and so does Shaq. Joe was one of the first verified Twitter users and now has a social media following of over 1 million people. Joe's first company helped companies and celebrities humanize their brands, such as Hilton Worldwide, Dwayne The Rock Johnson, Nike, Shaq, and many others. In this episode, Amy talks to me about her crazy birth story, her childhood, and what it's like being a working mom in Austin, Texas. Hey, Amy, I am so excited to have you here. I was just saying, like, you and I have been in this, like, ethos. We're also two women on Twitter, which, like, I'm on this campaign to get more women on Twitter. Of course, this is a weird time to say that, actually. But but I do feel like there's not enough women on Twitter, which is partially why we're in this weird mess right now. And that seems to be where all the bros hang out. So I appreciate that you're your big presence on Twitter. And Thank you. Fun, fun fact. When I got on Twitter, there were 11 people at the office and my client Shaquille O'Neal had imposters. So I was like, Hey, can you do something about this? And they said, yeah, we're inventing this blue check mark. We'll give it to him first. And then because you work with him, we'll give you one too. And so second verified person. Oh, that's huge. <laughs> well, so Amy, you are an incredible powerhouse. I mean, I am blown away by your career, which we will definitely dig into. And, you know, let's start. You're a mom. And what's your mom win of the week? I think for me, it's okay. So this has been a week. I landed from Portugal on Friday night. I went into soccer games and birthday parties and whatever. I haven't breathed. I, I really haven't like taken a breath. I've had early mornings and late nights every single day this week. And my husband turns 40 on Saturday. And so I'm having this big party for him. And I was, I was really trying to do it all. But you and I both know you can't do it all. So I hired a party planner from one of our portfolio companies, Party Slate, and she literally handled the whole thing. And like, I know not everyone can afford to do that, but I have to say this was one of those moments. It was so worth money. <laughs> I was just like, how am I even going to throw him a party and even write a toast? I have not a minute. And I am, it, it made it so I could actually see my kids and didn't have to plan this party. And of course I want to celebrate my husband. I love him so much, but, um, you know, it's just like, there's so much being a working parent is just, there's so much going on. So I hired a party planner and I took something off my plate and that is my mom win of the week. So what is yours? That's brilliant. And by the way, I tracked that on social and I was like, note to self, <clears throat> clicked in, looked at the company. I mean, those are the things that matter because time, right? Like if we can unlock just seconds, why wouldn't we do that? Why wouldn't we do that? Okay. So 
that invisible load is what my my friend Reagan always talks about. Okay, so my mom of the week, I'm trying to choose between two. I've I've got one. Okay, say them both. So I'm wearing, okay, all right, I'll share both. <laughs> One's pretty vulnerable, but I'll tell you, I've got nothing to hide. So one was that whole school drop off thing and trying to negotiate that and reconcile with meetings is like the real deal, right? You've got it down to the minute. And so I know if by eight. 52, we're not brushing teeth and in the car by 8.11, like this isn't going to be a good day, right? So get everything situated. And at Renegade, we do a lot of what we, what's called special purpose vehicles, right? We pull our money together for investments and we're working on our first private equity deal ever. So we get to get involved with this PE deal, which is huge and exciting and sounds fancy, but it's really amazing that we have this opportunity. And, and, and so I'm working on this and I'm texting and all of a sudden my son Lincoln, who's three and a half is looking at the different bug spray bottles. So he goes to Montessori school and they hang out in the backyard. They don't hang out at the schoolhouse. It's a home. And he wears bug spray because he's always getting bitten, just his type of skin. And so I kind of look at him and I was like, okay, do you, do you want orange or green? Meaning the top of the bug spray, the cap is orange or green. We have got two. And I thought he said green, but he said orange. So I grabbed green and he didn't see which one I grabbed. Then I usually spray him when I get him out of the car to go drop him off at school. Wrong color. Wrong color. I'm like half on a call, half having to melt down. The kid thinks like the world is ended because I brought the wrong cap color of bug, bug spray, right? It's, it's the same bug spray. And I mean, we're talking like we're not going to school all of a sudden and, and the day is jacked. And finally, we talk it through and we talk about how later on when I pick him up, we're going to make sure that that right bug spray is the only one we ever use again. And then he and I are walking down the pathway and he says, he's sorry to me. And I said, I'm sorry. And then I get in the car and immediate it's back into like work mode. And it's like juggling that frame of mind between the meltdown and your kid thinks the world's ending because of this little thing that a three and a half year old that happens and trying to, you know, really see this transaction through that's a really big deal for us is it's how it is every minute we're toggling right big small big small over like personal professional it's it just cracks me up and it's like yeah within seconds this is all going down totally I mean first of all how cute is it that he apologized and I mean what a great little boy and then also yeah I mean the mom switch it's like there's days where it takes me like a full 15 minutes to get out of the mom thing. And there's days where I just can like turn it off. I need the days that I can turn it off. I need to like really assess what happened that made it so I could just switch. But it's also like, you know, you just have women have so much depth. We just have so many layers and we're constantly thinking about a million things. And that made me think about switching between those two things. I'm constantly thinking about seven different things in my head, you know, especially at home. I'm like, okay, honey, like I'm going to help you, you know, put, put your pants on or whatever. And then I'm also thinking, okay, I need to order this on Amazon. I need to order Instacart because we have no bananas. And like, you know, you're just doing like a million things all the time. Like, are you able, able to ever turn it off? There are moments where he, he's sending signals like mom, 
turn it off. Pencils down is what we say in our household, like pencils down, like let's focus. And we were at this resort in Scottsdale and I was on the phone we were walking by the pool and he did not want me to be on the phone. And he took a remote control from one of the cabanas and threw it in the pool. And I was watching, but I wasn't really like quick enough watching that I could stop it in time. And it was just his way of being like, you're not going to pay attention to me. I'm going to throw this in the pool. He did it again the other day. And it's like, those reminders are so dagger to the heart, but it is clarity because that kid came three months early and he almost didn't make it. And it's like, I just have to remember what, what's most important in this moment. Like, yeah, the shit can wait. It really can. Totally. We thank you for sharing all of that. First of all. And, you know, I want to talk about what does your, your busy working mom, You have a million things going on as we've just, you know, discussed. What does your child care look like currently? Like what works for you? Well, I I would say, I don't know that I have that figured out, but I can tell you what it looks like. So he goes to Montessori school and he's three and a half and three is the entry level, right? And they've got three to six. So he's, he's the baby and he just got in prior to that is a different story, but we, I mean, either his dad or I drop him off every morning and pick him up at 2.50. And so as an entrepreneur, like your day doesn't usually end at 2.50, does it? (laughs) And we still have not decided to like do anything other than let's make sure one of us picks him up and then it's pencils down until we either swap or he goes to bed. And for now, there's just something in me that says, figure it out. I'm like, you're never going to get this time back. And some days it's so messy. And yeah, there might be a little Paw Patrol on while something's happening, you know, but I don't know. So that's what it looks like now. And he, you know, he was born early and then on oxygen for his first year. So that was a different type of caretaking. And then COVID hit. Oh my gosh. Tell me about that. Yeah, I'll tell you about so I'll tell you about it. But it's been a very interesting like transition into socializing and we moved as well. And so And you're in Austin. We're in Austin currently. Right. And so I was on a flight at twenty seven weeks and he I went into full labor. And so I landed on a layover in Denver and had him within the hour. So he had this, you know, little two pounder and I could literally fit my wedding ring around his wrist. And he's great now. You would never know he was a micro preemie, but the way he entered into the world, it's one of those things where you do get crystal clarity quick, right? And it's like, okay, overnight, my world changed and my business had to change, right? I always tell people, I think we cut immediately cut about 60% of the things that I was doing not happening anymore. Yeah. But the business doubled in that year. And it's like talk about forcing to get efficient and effective. Like I mean, I, was I, I, <laughs> I I say that all the time like people are like how do you do all these things? I'm like honestly, after I had kids, it made me so much more efficient. I remember even even after I just had one and he was like 9 months old, I remember thinking going through my calendar being like none of these are priorities. I can cancel all these and I'm going to put the priorities on. And then, you know, I was also at the stage where I was sort of like having meetings and I didn't know why I was having some of these meetings where you're just kind of, you know, and you Mm -hmm. figure out exactly what moves the needle, exactly what you need. And you can actually double the efficiency. I, 
I cannot believe you had a baby so early. This happened to a friend of mine too. And over Denver, I was just sort of like flashing back. That's so crazy. I'm so sorry that you dealt with that, but it sounds like everything's okay. It is the best thing that ever happened. It's amazing to say that, but yeah, everything, you know, talk about a village. The the nurses, the NICU nurses could run the world. It was, it's amazing between, (laughs) they say the most ancient form of medicine is love. Uh, Our head neonatologist said that to us. I was like, what's the best indicator of a healthy child once you send them home from the NICU? And he's like, I could tell you if if that kid's loved, he's going to be a lot healthier. And I'm like, it's coming from a doctor, scientist. So between that and, and modern medicine, it's amazing what they were able to do. Oh, it's incredible. And I mean, I can't believe you were in the NICU for so long too, because we had, I had three NICU babies, but none of them stayed more than a week. And I was on hospital bed rest for the first one, but I know that like you, I mean, those NICU nurses are angels. I mean, they're saints. They're just mm-hmm. beautiful humans caring for like everyone's children and just such an amazing thing. Well, so, okay. So you talked a little about your child care. So how did that differ from how you grew up? Oh my gosh. It was the wild, wild west where I grew up, right? I, we lived in a trailer park and it was like, see you when it's dark, right? We'll go out and explore. And where, where were you? Where did you grow up? I was born in Wyoming and we moved around as my father's job in construction would take us to different little towns in Wyoming and then into Kansas, different towns and eventually made it to Arizona. And so change was a big through line for me, constantly moving schools and getting used to kind of the unknown. So, um, gosh, childcare growing up, you know, I think we looked at our neighborhood and, and I feel like there was this kind of under unsaid rule where whichever parent was around was kind of just in charge of the whole neighborhood at the time. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) I had this friend's mom and she would whistle when it was time for us to all come back. And I learned how to whistle from her, like a really good loud. And we had five minutes. And if we weren't back in five minutes, we were in so much trouble, but we just listened for the whistle. And I don't know, it it feels like it was just wild, wild west. And I'm really grateful now we live on a street where it's not the same, but we got our text thread and it's like, you know, I saw Lincoln was, he's three and a half. So this is, there's three Lincolns on our street. Oh my Um, gosh. The street of Lincolns. (laughs) The street of Lincoln. But we just, we're tight knit and it's, yeah, someone is borrowing, you know, needs an egg. You're going to get a text back in two seconds of come over and get the egg or yeah. whatever. You know, <laughs> my fire alarm's going off. I, I don't know how to get up there. So-and-so's, you know, busy to help. So such a nice community. Tight, like that is just a different version of, we don't just kind of set our kids out into the wild as much as we used to. That's yeah, no, I think I think we don't. And then I think COVID kind of kept everyone in their houses a lot too. And I, I I love that you have that community. I think Los Angeles, we have a little bit of that on my street, but I, I wish we had more of that where it's just watching out for other people's kids. I think well, you're in Austin. I mean, I do feel like when you're in a major city you are you know, you still have to be slightly on edge about where your kid is and what's happening and it's just a different kind of place. But so you grew up in Wyoming. You know, let's uh, dig a little into your professional life because you are mind-blowingly amazing. And it sounds like you really are 
completely self-made. You worked your way up. You've done so many things. First, tell me about Renegade. Okay, so the genesis really, because that's fair of why Renegade. So the current company is Renegade Global, and we do have Renegade Global Ventures, which I alluded to. But I, I went to school for marketing and entered in, into my career in the agency world, working on a lot of sports and entertainment brands, and then found myself working in the NBA for the Phoenix Suns. This was early, early day social media, right? And early day, just digital. So 05, 06 season. And I just started experimenting and ended up working with some cast of characters that played for the team. And one day my boss called me a renegade on the team plane. We were headed to LA to play the Lakers and we were entertaining our marketing partners, Verizon, you know, Pepsi, whoever. And I had been experimenting with Shaquille O'Neal and helping him on Twitter and helping him kind of humanize his brand. But this was behind the scenes because that was not my job description. <laughs> it didn't exist, right? And there were no rules. So he's making everybody really uncomfortable. And we would do these stunts and they were hitting ESPN, you know, prime time at night. And I was told, Twitter timeout, stop what you're doing. The league office was calling from New York saying, what is going on in Phoenix down there? hold up, we're writing the rules right now, stop. And so I was put in Twitter timeout, but that train had left the station. So I'm on the plane one day and and my boss literally said, Amy Jo, you're a renegade because once again, she saw that I was helping the players. And in that moment, there's something about that word of like, it brought me back to my trailer park days. And I'm like, you're damn straight I am. Kind of like (laughs) pride. Yeah. A lot of people would be like, oh, shit, am I in trouble? And I had been playing around and flirting with the idea of doing something on my own. And that moment when there's a whole scene that happened on the plane and I tell it in keynotes and it's in the book called Renegades Write the Rules. But I texted Shaquille and I said, hey, I think I'm going to start my own thing. And he wrote back within a minute and said, great, I'll be your first client. Oh my! God. And that was before the plane took off. And I thought I'm I'm going to be taking a Southwest Airlines back. I'm not flying private back because I'm going to get <laughs> fired. But I did. That was the moment, like a why not now moment. And the rest is history. So three-time founder, you know, started in 2009 with my entrepreneurial journey. And no idea what I was doing in my 20s, just first rodeo. And lots of hard lessons. But um, we built a company that, you know, had employees in 10 different countries and huge global iconic logos on our portfolio. Dwayne The Rock Johnson was an early client before he was The Rock. He was still WWE. And Wait, um, and go, go back real quick. So you were put on Twitter time out. What did you mean? Like they, <laughs> they, like Twitter called you and was like, you just got in trouble or like the no. Phoenix Suns called you and were like, like, stop tweeting. But it, my hand was being slapped basically. Okay. I was asking a lot of forgiveness and set of permission. And the league office was like, we're writing some rules. Can you just pause with whatever you're doing down there with that Twitter, Twitter stuff. And (laughs) when we get our rules out, you can, you know, you can resume. And I'm like, I had, okay, small town girl from Wyoming in a trailer park, grew up in a trailer park. At that point, I had nearly a hundred thousand followers on Twitter. Like there wasn't any stuff of Shaquille had million or whatever. So, and eventually I get to a million and that was a whole nother thing, you know, leaving the the sports property legal was like, Hey, we think we own these followers because 
in my bio and in my name, it said Phoenix Suns. And I was like, no, you don't. Again, no rules. Totally. You don't. So I just changed the name. (laughs) (laughs) Oh my gosh. That's awesome. Yeah. You are a renegade and I love it. But I remember like, that's probably what, 2009. Yeah. I remember that era because I was on, I was one of those early tweeters, Twitterers. And I went to the first ever Twitter conference at the Skirball Center. And that was like kind of the moment I started switching, shifting my career a little bit because I was used to, I don't know, I'd been in entertainment and I was like, you know, acting and stuff. And, you know, I'd go to these cattle calls. They're like, turn around, turn around. Don't speak. I don't want you to speak, you know, and no, you're not right for the part. And it's just, it was like so excruciating. And I think that same week I had had an audition like that. And then I was invited to like this Twitter conference and I was like, this is my vibe. And it was like people, the early Twitters, I remember there were some WWE guys and Tony Robbins spoke at this conference. And I was like, this, like something cool is happening here. You know, this is like a cool new medium. And so I was one of those early Twitters, but I didn't know exactly how to use it. The, yeah, that's so funny. I remember that era. So clearly there were no rules. You could write about anything. People in their DMs were like, it was like, texting like they were like scheduling things with strangers it was like almost like a dating app too oh like there were no geographic barriers there were no you know we're only bound by the speed of technology it was it was crazy and I agreed we were probably at the same conference so we should look back we should it was like that small one at skirball it was like jeff pulver or something i don't know yep yeah exactly yeah it totally i think that's when it was like play-doh and we got to make what we wanted out of it and it was just this home of innovations petri dish right yeah we could just i met tony shea the the ceo of zappos who's he was a good friend of mine with us but we met over a direct message he became my friend mentor investor like I met my husband over Twitter on a DM oh my Um, god really see I just said dating app that's so funny I can't believe you met your husband there right after I said that that's so crazy I know right seriously I mean that was the original bumble kind of yeah so so yeah it unlocked a lot of opportunity to connect because it's just communication right yeah, I was a good friend of Tony Shays too, and I'm sorry for your loss. Like that was a real, real bummer. The he was a real mover and shaker, and I miss him so much. I do. I met your dad once or twice with Tony. Yeah, so. he's a great um, guy. So you also wrote this book, and so it sounds like so, and it's called Renegades Write the Rules: How the Digital Royalty Use Social Media to Innovate. And you wrote this in 2012. And this is really, so this is like four years out or whatever from the moment we're talking about. And you really figured it out. You figured out social media before anybody else. It, it was a combination of the perfect calculus. I had these characters that I was willing to just, again, ask a lot of forgiveness instead of permission and try things. So Shaquille, Dwayne, DJ is the perfect example. I mean, he has zero ability to fake anything. He's larger than life kind of literally, and shows up and and actually is willing to be the one that's connecting. He really does put the time and energy into it. So I had that amazing, the assets to work with. And then 
we were willing to just try things. Right. Um, and so bridging the virtual world with the physical world was a big part of my sweet spot early days. And again, that book is now 10 years old. I'm working on the next one, but it's amazing how, you know, the online and offline worlds, a lot of times we think of them separate, but even a lot of the clinical research that I've done, it's amazing how much they are connected and how they impact our behavior. And just when you, when you look at the potency of social media, a lot of it is when we look at that collision of online and offline. Yeah. So we did a lot to, you know, experiment. Some were home runs and some of them completely failed, but a lot of the home runs made the news. Well, don't you believe though, it's just about trying things? Like it's just the worst thing you could do is sit still. So if you're failing in some way, like that's a positive, that's good. You tried something and if it doesn't work, it doesn't work, but like, at least you're making moves and you learn something and you're not going to do it again. Yeah. And it's the ultimate kind of personal brand builder. And if you're results oriented, like that feedback loop is instant. So you can get motivated pretty quickly. Yeah. What are you working on right now that you're super excited about? So after exiting digital royalty, I was like, what am I, I don't know what I want to do, but I was so burned out. I mean, You've heard the story a million times, but 210 flights in one year, averaging four hours of sleep a night, drinking too much, definitely, and just not sure what I wanted to do. And so I started getting curious. It was my hobby. Curiosity was my hobby. I started a podcast seven or eight years ago called Why Not Now and started listening more. And a lot of what I had been was that was being requested by my friends, my female founders, fellow founders, leaders, executives at, on the corporate side whoever, they were like, hey, will you help me do what you did for the corporate brands or the these celebrities? And I said, I don't want to consult, but if y'all get together, I'll share everything I've learned. And I've also been public speaking professionally for 14 plus years. So me getting paid to speak. And there's a huge opportunity for women to get paid because there's budget out there for us, right? And so I was like, sure. So I put together a group and we're now with 400 graduates across the globe we're on version 10 and these women are freaking amazing. But the whole goal is that we're very diverse in a mosaic of experience, background and sector. So we have a woman that just ran for Senate That's in Louisiana, awesome. first African-American woman to ever run. Anyway, she just, she, we've got Sarita, we've got, you know, CMOs of corporate fortune 50 brands. We've got First-time founders, we've got second-stage founders, we've got women in VC, we have... And these are all your clients now. now. These are these are all people who have gone through Renegade and Renegade oh, cool. and, and are a part of Renegade. Once you're in, you continue on and it's, it's equal parts curriculum, you know, the content and the things that I've learned around personal brand, public speaking, the business side, publishing, angel investing, and really understanding how and what things mean, right? And how providing access to deal flows well. So we have this diverse mosaic of female founders, leaders, executives and corporate, you name it. Obviously the curriculum is one portion, but the accountability and the collaboration are big components and you continue on. You're in Renegade and we have the investing side where we have access to deal flow that is exclusive that they wouldn't have otherwise and they can write smaller check sizes. But we also are, you know, hiring each other and making introductions. Women are now part of the White House special task forces because of introductions, getting people on stages, 
and getting healthy sized checks written for them. You know, it's the connections, introductions, the hiring from a new business standpoint, sharing talent. It's all just amazing how there's a fierce commitment to each other's goals right? and how engaged these women are. So the yeah. goal is to get more women seats on cap tables and board seats too, which I know you're a huge advocate and, and dedicated your, your world to. Oh yeah. I mean, that's all, that's what I preach all day long. And I, I'm glad you're that's helping I adore too. You. <laughs> oh, well, thank you. I mean, that's, I'm Good so work. happy that, you know, we've met because like, that's definitely something we're trying to do in all like, I'm trying to pull women up on stage everywhere we possibly can, put our founders out there. And so I love that you're you're doing that as well. Okay, so tell me, where can we hear your Why Not Now podcast? Anywhere you enjoy your podcast. So Spotify, iTunes, SoundCloud, and my website, amyjomartin.com for the podcast and renegade.global for Renegade. Amazing. Well, okay, give us your number one mom hack. What's like something that maybe is seemingly insignificant, but really helps you get by? Okay. I've got, I it was first thing that pops into mind. Always got to go with that intuitive hit. So <laughs> Lincoln likes to know what's coming next. Right? right. And sometimes let's say it's a Saturday and I've maybe got some errands and, or like, it's so helpful for him to transition to the next thing if he knows what's next. Okay. So I started making these treasure maps where we would draw what's going to happen in the day. And we take it with us because it's a treasure map. And I mean, it might be, we're going to the grocery store. It's, it's going to be, you know, we're going to go hunting for veggies and fruits at the whatever, but he knows, okay, this is what's going to happen next. And even down to quiet time, read a book, quiet time. And so sometimes, especially on like a Saturday or Sunday where it's a blank day of things, um, he, we will draw it out in the morning and then he's, he knows, and there will be little incentives along the way, you know, definitely have some treats in there or some little fun things, but he all the way to bedtime and oh it gosh. just helps me manage his expectations. Uh, I love that. I love the treasure map. That is such a brilliant idea. <laughs> So fun. I love stuff like that for my kids. They, and they would just eat that up. They would be like, oh, where do we go next? And my oldest just wants to know the schedule or he plans the schedule. So he would actually <laughs> love to make a treasure map. Yeah. Well, that is fantastic. Okay. You know, we're here to solve childcare. So I really appreciate all you've told us about your childcare and what that looks like. What do you think is something we can do to move the conversation forward and solve it because we have women dropping out of the workforce left and right. And it's because we can't solve this major problem that is so broken in our country specifically around the world. But really like I just was at, um, in Portugal at web summit talking to 25 funds from around the world. And I realized, wow, no, it's just really broken in the United States more than anywhere else. So how do you think we can move that conversation forward? What's something we can all do? It's a great, great question. And I, I have a, a couple of thoughts that pop into mind, but I'll never forget. I saw Julia Cheek, who's the founder of Everly Well, Everly Health now. She had shared a, a screenshot, I think one day of her and a friend texting and they were talking about childcare. And I think she said like 90% of the time when I'm speaking with my friends, we're discussing childcare. Imagine if we were able to discuss the world's problems. Like, and she's running a three, $4 billion company. And so we talk about it a lot. And one of the things 
I believe seeing is believing, right? If we can see examples of what works and others, it's data and it's storytelling, human storytelling that changes behavior. And here's one thought, but my partner and I, we have a pretty alternative situation where he works for the company, yet he was a stay-at-home dad for a while. And we just, we have a dynamic that is pretty, I'll use air quotes alternative because what does that even mean these days? But if we're sharing more of these creative alternative structures, I think they become a little more accepted and I just think about how many times, you know, I'm on a business trip and they say, well, who's watching your kids? And I ask the guy, has no. anyone ever asked you that before in your entire life? And they say, no, I've never realized that. I've never thought about that. The rules are different for women and they are. And so the game is different. And so if when we see something working that's alternative, shining a huge light on that because it can be repeated. And I just think of, you know, that's this storytelling is so powerful. And so that's, that's one thing. I mean, the other thing is grace, like all our entire company were women, most are moms, except for Richard, <laughs> who is a stay, you know, half the time a stay at home dad. And it is just common. Like it is not a big deal when we rock up and there's, there's Lincoln right there doing something like we just have to be more flexible. Yeah. I like I that. It's perspective. COVID. It's like just change everyone's kind of perspective. That's a really good point. I mean, I look at like Zoom and I feel like before the, you know, was, you and I were probably no stranger to the Zoom call going into COVID, but when it became the norm, it was like before COVID, you would just pretend you didn't have kids when you were on Zoom. And like now it's like, yeah, kids walk into the picture. Why is that a problem? Yeah. We all live real lives. Why are we as women pretending like hiding our children in the closet? Like this is real. It's more relatable too. Exactly. And it's that's innovation when we mix things that don't typically mix. And so we had a virtual session a couple of weeks ago, many, many renegade women across the globe. One was breastfeeding her brand new newborn. The other had her college age daughter home from school that was listening in. And we were learning from someone who's an expert negotiator who negotiates billion dollar deals. And it was like the coolest thing because we had all these generations. No one cares. Like it is just, you just rock up and you learn. And that's what we were there to do. And in the middle of the day, you know, and it's like, yeah, who cares? It's kind of like, there are no rules again. And it's true. Even when you do have rules, you better be ready to defend them because a lot of them don't make sense anymore, right? The old rules. Oh, yeah. I mean, they're, we're just disrupting those old rules. I don't like the old rules. The old rules yeah. didn't include women. In fact, we aren't in the Constitution. So. Right. Um, well, it's the old guard. There's yeah, a guard. Exactly. So yeah. good. Well, I'm so happy that you know, you're helping change all of those old rules. And please, Amy, tell me more about how we can all do things together. I would love to do more with you. It's so nice to finally meet you virtually. And then also, it's time for our goodbye story. So you told me that you love this series of books. And I, I love these books, actually, too. But you're the first one to bring them up. So what to Do With an Idea by Kobe Yamada and illustrated by Mae Besom. What to Do With an Idea is about a boy who has an idea. 
illustrated as a golden-crowned egg with legs. The boy wonders about the peculiar golden biped, its origins, its purpose, and its place in the world. And so why does this book mean so much to you, Amy? Oh, I love this series because there's also what to do with a chance and what to do with a problem. Um, it's just, it. I think adults need to, it should be required reading for us. It's just open-minded, innovative thinking. And, you know, you read these books and it's like, wow, you could take anything that happened in your day as an adult and apply this logic and be like, yeah, that's how you solve a problem. That's right. You know, it's like, whoa, this is the most brilliant thing ever. The what to do with a chance has this illustration of this yellow thing. It kind of looks like a butterfly. And now Lincoln will see a yellow butterfly and he's like, butterfly chances. Oh my God. Um, if he sees an egg, he'll say, is that an idea egg? And uh, it's just, I don't know. He, it, I love to just stretch their minds or maybe give them something. Who knows where they're going to take it? Yeah. So cool. Well, Amy, thank you so, so much for being on the show and sharing your thoughts on childcare and beyond today. I know we both have to get back to work because we have some monumental work to do. We do. Thank you for doing the important work on all aspects of your business and this topic. It's extremely important. And how we solve it is we have these conversations and then we go out and experiment. So thank you. No, thank you. Keep rocking. And I hope to talk to you soon. I know I'll see you on Twitter. Thank you so much for listening. Please write us a review if you liked us. Tell us what you think. Follow us on Instagram at monumental.podcast or at Jesse C. Draper and tell us who you want to hear from and how you think we can solve childcare. Also, please give us five stars.